my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 313. I'm back from northern Washington. Did about 14, 14 and a half hours of driving over the weekend. Uh, my grandma lives up north. Uh, whatever, you know, Portland to the Canadian border is several long that is. Did that drive twice. My grandma lives in the Colville, Washington area, a little farther north of that. Uh, by the Canadian border, and uh, drove up there. You know, I left. I did the podcast Friday night. I put it out as, as early as I could. I think it came out at like way later than I wanted to. I didn't leave here till uh, Friday night at midnight. Got there around six a.m. on Saturday. Had a very brief uh, but very fun time. My grandma is uh, she's in her eighties. She's had a quadruple bypass surgery. Uh, my grandpa had just recently died. I, I personally didn't want to risk not seeing her one more time in case anything happened. Uh, I've now seen her, so if if she dies between now and the end of football season, at least I saw her one more time, and I feel good about that. And Again, I encourage you, make sure you go say goodbye to people you care about, just in case anything happens. I got back late uh, Sunday night. I've been watching as much football as I could to try to catch up and get back into the swing of things. I spent all day yesterday recording. I was going to record last night, uh, Monday night. I just... I've been going, 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 driving, driving, driving hours and getting back and not really resting, watching football. And I just hit a wall. I had to go to bed. I woke up this morning. It's Tuesday morning, ready to go. Uh, Big show today. We're going to talk about NFL Week 13. I'm going to break a rule and do something I've never once done before. Uh, We're going to talk about every single game so far from Week 13. We're going to talk about the Browns, the Giants. We're going to talk about Jalen Hurts. Uh, We'll talk about Formula One at the end. We'll do some Ask Zach questions, getting questions from the audience. It's a big episode. Um, Probably going to be a long episode. I know, I think people that listen to the full podcast, I know when I listen to a full podcast, you know, whether I'm driving or doing laundry or whatever, I like when podcasts are longer personally because I get to spend more time with the people that I enjoy spending time with. So uh, like when Colin Moriarty does a two hour podcast, I'm like, oh, let's go. I'm so happy, right? I wish you did three hours. So I don't know that I can do a show that's too long, um, but I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just want to leave that teaser out there. I'm going to break a rule that I've never broken before in my entire time doing strong opinion sports. At least not this year. I probably did it at the beginning of the, my time doing SOS, uh, but as of late, I haven't done it at all. I made a rule not to do it. I'm going to break it. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, but first, I want to say this: uh, the Browns, the Browns just beat the Titans 41 to 35. Uh, and the final score says that this was a close game, but that's not quite really true. Uh, Cleveland dominated. You know, the Browns were up 38-7 to at halftime. And then after halftime, things slowed down for Cleveland where some of that was intentional. Uh, you know, for example, they had a nine-play drive early in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, nine plays, only 24 yards, but they took over seven minutes off the clock. So they were just running the ball, taking their time. You know, they had the big lead. They're trying to just run at the clock and do what they could. Only three points for them in the second half. Uh, But kind of the interesting point here was the Titans running back, uh, Derrick Henry, only had 60 yards rushing. You go, what happened there? And part of that is a couple things working there. Number one, uh, the Browns defense did really well early on, limiting the Titans on first down. Number two, the Titans, for some reason I didn't quite understand, kept trying to throw the ball early in the game. I'm like, what? It's... It's first and second down. Like, why run the ball? You're, you're Tennessee. Run the football. They kept not running the ball. Kept They had a, a couple possessions where they went three and out, three passes in a row. And why are you doing that? Your identity's running the football. And then later in the game, because Cleveland was scoring at will, they were up by so much that 
Tennessee basically had to abandon the run to try to throw and get back into the game. So Derrick Henry had very few yards in the game. There's a big reason for that. Uh, now, Baker Mayfield, the Browns quarterback, was nearly flawless in this game. I, I walked away very, very impressed. Uh, he was 25 for 33 passing, 334 yards, four passing touchdowns. And uh, those eight incompletions, you know, eight incomplete passes were, there really were no bad or ugly incompletions. They were all throws that were like, there were three drops, there were a couple throwaways, there was a, one was tipped. This was a really, really great game for Baker Mayfield. I'm happy to say that. I've been saying for a while. Uh, I guess, first of all, we have to mention this, though, because I, in fairness, right, Tennessee has a really, really hard time generating a pass rush. Uh, they tried adding Jadavian Clowney. Uh, you know, he's more of a Robin than a Batman. He's more of a number two than a number one. He's not going to do enough by himself. Uh, and the Titans are second to last in the entire NFL in recorded sacks. So it's the Bengals are the worst, then the Titans, then the Jaguars. If you're worse than the Jaguars at any statistic, you know you're probably not doing things very well. And so Tennessee, I mean, again, I, I think that Baker had a lot of time to throw the ball. There's a reason for that. It's Some of that is the shortcomings of Tennessee. But I got a couple thoughts. I mean, in the last couple of weeks leading up to this game, he had the Jaguars game was pretty good two week, uh, last week. Uh, then again, he's good against the Titans. But the three games before that Jaguars game, People kept criticizing Baker Mayfield for having really low numbers. And I, I said, look, numbers are not everything. And I think it's really stupid to take shots at Baker Mayfield when you haven't watched the football game. So remember, in those that three-game stretch where the Browns actually went 2-1, and one, there were three games in November in Cleveland. Like, really terrible weather was going on. It was kind of an anomaly. Uh, Cleveland doesn't have great weather anyway. And it was extra bad weather those couple games and so I defended Baker during that stretch. A lot of people said, well, Baker's terrible. He's washed up. He's this. He's that. He's not very, he's not good. And I would point out that even opposing quarterbacks were not that great in those games. Um, and, and as the year has gone on, Baker has gotten better and better. And he's taking care of the ball. He's been very efficient. He's making good decisions. He's been very accurate. He makes a couple throws a game where you go, dang, Baker, that's a great, fantastic throw. I and mean, I think people aren't recognizing how good Baker is is doing this year and how much better he's been getting. Not just, you know, this year in general, but week to week he's gotten better and better and better. And it's so obvious to me that Kevin Stefanski, the new head coach in Cleveland, could not be a better coach for Baker. Their offense is great. Uh, and, you know, and I got to say, watching this game, one thing came to mind. As I'm watching Baker Mayfield throw the ball and do very well, and they're running the ball heavily. I could not help but compare... Baker Mayfield to the Rams quarterback, Jared Goff. They're both oddly very, very similar. So consider this. Both Jared Goff and Baker Mayfield were, they were both number one overall picks. Uh, they both started with bad coaches. They needed a good coach to save their career. Jared Goff needed Sean McVay. Baker needed Kevin Stefanski. And again, I, although I would argue that every quarterback needs a good coach. Like, it's really hard to do anything good in any football league if you don't have a good coach. So it's kind of a, like, it, it, but it is reality. Like, you, you would say, when did Baker get better? Kevin Stefanski. When did Jared Goff look like he was going to work in the NFL? Sean McVay. The new coach had to save their career. And then also, both Baker Mayfield and Jared Goff have been inconsistent at times. They've had a lot of highs. There have also been a lot of lows and moments where people go, what is this guy doing, or should we give up on him? And I don't know whether this is controversial or not, but where my brain went as I was watching the Browns 
Titans game on Sunday, late Sunday night. I watched it late. I recorded it. And, and this might be controversial. I don't know. But I would take Baker Mayfield over Jared Goff in a heartbeat. I, I really, I'll tell you why. A couple big reasons. Number one, Baker, this is silly, but I, I don't know. I don't know that it's silly. I think it, it, I think it does matter. But I think it's debatable, and you can argue with me. And this is the most, if you want to argue with anything I'm about to say next, this is the most arguable thing you can you know, just disagree with me on. I believe Baker Mayfield has more fire than Jared Goff. And I think that matters. You can see Baker cares. The dude really, really wants to win. And I want that in my quarterback. And when you watch Jared Goff, he always has seemed very apathetic. Like, he's just kind of indifferent to how well he does and indifferent to what happens around him. Uh, and I know this is borderline unfair. I've never met either guy. But from what I've seen, I prefer Baker. I prefer Baker. Baker's got that story of he overcame a lot. He had adversity in college. He had to walk on twice. He's always seemed very driven. He, there's a passionate fire about Baker Mayfield that I prefer. Again, Jared Goff feels like he's plateaued. He's indifferent. He, he's safe. He knows he's safe. Uh, and he's a rich, happy guy who lives in a great house in L.A. And I, I haven't felt like recently, Jared got what? Where is the drive to get better and to go farther? I, Jared Goff feels like he's plateaued, gotten to a point where he's probably not going to get any better. He's kind of middle of the pack, and that's it. But here's another reason to pick Baker Mayfield over Jared Goff. Jared Goff is in year five. I want to ask you, how many quarterbacks do you think keep getting better after year five? By year five. You kind of know who they are. You kind of figured out, okay, this is what this quarterback is. Oh, and by the way, Jared Goff has been with Sean McVay, the savior head coach, for four years. After four years with Sean McVay, a, a brilliant, great head coach, if we're not seeing more improvement, we've kind of seen it. You kind of reached your ceiling. We, we've seen the best of Jared Goff we're probably ever going to see. Doesn't mean he can't play good in the future. He'll probably still play good, but do you think he's ever going to get much better? I don't really think he is. Now, with Baker Mayfield, where Jared Goff has hit his ceiling, it feels like, Baker Mayfield's only in year three, and he's only in year one with his new good coach. And Baker's still getting better. Every time I watch Baker Mayfield, I go, that's a little better than last time. So Baker Mayfield's on the upswing, where Jared Goff has hit his ceiling and kind of plateaued. That does matter. Who's got more potential? Now, I, I believe Baker's got a bright future ahead of him, and I think a lot of people don't realize how much having bad coaching those first two years with Hugh Jackson and Brady Kitchens, having a bad coach really, really hurt Baker Mayfield's career early on. And I look at the Browns right now, they're nine and three. Kevin Stavansky's done a great job there, you know, in year one as their head coach. You got, you got Kevin Stavansky in year one as head coach. They've got Andrew Barry, the new general manager. And the roster in Cleveland was just begging for good leadership. They were just begging for somebody to take all the talent they have in Cleveland and give them good coaching and point them in the right direction. They have Baker Mayfield. They got Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt. They got three good tight ends, Austin Hooper, Harrison Bryant, David Njoku. They got some good receivers with Shard Higgins. They have, gosh, Jarvis Landry, OBJ, whenever he is healthy, if they keep him. They have two good offensive tackles. They have J uh, Jedrick Wills. They have Jack Conklin. They've got Miles Garrett on defense, Denzel Ward at corner. Uh, Greedy Williams, and he's healthy, he's great. Uh, they got Grant Delpit. When he is healthy, like, the names go on and on and on. There's so much talent right now in Cleveland, and they got the right coach finally to point them in the right direction. I love Baker Mayfield. I think he's playing very well. I think better than people are giving him credit for. 
People love to take shots at Baker Mayfield. That's like the popular thing to do. I don't think it's fair. Watch how Baker's playing. You go playing very, very playing at a high level and getting better every single week. And then again, I kind of go back to this, man. I am so happy for the city of Cleveland. For the longest time, I've been waiting and waiting and wait. like really my whole lifetime, I've been hoping the Browns could finally do something positive and maybe become a good team. And I'm not a Browns fan. I don't care how Cleveland does, but when you watch someone get beat over the head over and over and over again, eventually you go, man, they're the, the underdog, and I want to see that underdog succeed. Well, Cleveland, let me tell you, your team is finally good, and I, they're 9-3. and three. I'm happy to finally say that. Like, oh, my gosh. I, it's so cool to me to see the Cleveland Browns doing well. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I, I just I, I love seeing that. They're, they're a playoff team right now, and Baker's playing well. They got the coach right. They got the general manager right. Well done, Cleveland. I'm so happy for you. The Cleveland Browns are finally a good football team. All right. Um, well, let me, let me drink water real quick first so we get into the next topic. The New York Giants just beat the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Giants won 17-12. to And there were two big moments of the, over the course of this game, I think, really, that made an impact on what happened. Uh, number one was in the first half, the Giants had a punt blocked. They're on the back, way backed up on their own goal line, and uh, Seattle blocked it. Now the ball rolled out of the back of the end zone, and Seattle almost grabbed it for a touchdown, but instead it rolled out of the back of the end zone. It was a safety for two points rather than a touchdown for six points with an extra point, seven points. That's a huge, huge five-point swing where touchdown versus safety. Those five points were the difference in the, the game with the final score. So huge play there. I think the Giants kind of caught a break that they didn't get a touchdown there. But also, here's a big thing you need to give the Giants credit for. Seattle had the ball. Hall of Fame quarterback Russell Wilson, first and 10 on your own 20-yard line. Uh, you're down five points with a minute and 48 left to go. If I told you you have Russell Wilson against the Giants with a two-minute drive to win the game, You'd go, Russell probably does well. Russell probably drives down the field and they win the game. So Seattle had an opportunity to put a game-winning drive together, and they could not. They couldn't make it happen. And they got stopped. I mean, it was a, first of all, credit to the Giants. We'll come back around to them. But number one, Russell had a weird game. He had two turnovers. And my brain kind of goes from here, watching the Seattle Seahawks lose that game. We'll talk about the Giants coaching in a minute. But first of all, who's going to win NFL MVP? Because I don't know that it's Russell Wilson. He just, he keeps having, a, he's had a couple weird games this year where he's had a lot of turnovers and lost and done poorly. Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, they're six and six. They're probably, we're not going to see Kyler win the MVP. Is it going to be Patrick Mahomes again? He's got the best numbers in the NFL. I don't know. I, I just, I have no idea who's going to win the NFL MVP. In 2020. Now, I don't give out an MVP award. I give out a player of the year award. I got my own weird specific rules. I explain what I do. But the I know there it's a big deal who gets the, the NFL official MVP award. And I have no idea who's going to win it. Maybe you do. Let me know. Uh, I, I can't think of anybody right now who stands out above the rest to win that award other than maybe Patrick Mahomes. It's a very weird year where nobody's really standing out as the top, you know, standout player this year. And uh, other than, I guess, Mahomes, who might win it again for the second time in three years. Now, 
I want to come back to this because the Giants defense delivered at the end of the game when they needed to. And here's the biggest takeaway from the Seattle-New York Giants game. We can debate about the quarterback, Daniel Jones. Is he the right guy? Is he not? Some people agree with me. Some people hate me for saying, you know, how dare you question Daniel Jones? The quarterback debate is a whole other thing. It doesn't really matter right now because I think we can all agree it really seems like the Giants got the right coach by hiring Joe Judge. And wow, is that cool. Like, it, it really does feel like, I mean, the Giants look disciplined. They're playing good at defense. Every week I go, this Giants team is getting better and better and better. And the 2020 Giants remind me a lot of the 2019 Miami Dolphins from last year where the Dolphins didn't win a lot of games last year, but they made a lot of progress. If you remember, the Giants are a, or I guess you remember the, the Dolphins last year were a much better team week 17 than they were at the beginning of the year. And the Giants are a much better team today after 13 weeks than they were week one. And that's really cool. So shout out to Joe Judge. He's done a great job. And I do, I do want to say, I hope that Daniel Jones is the right guy. I, I can hope for one thing, but also not believe it. I don't believe that he is. I have no confidence that he's the guy to lead them to the promised land. Uh, but I would be happy to be wrong about that. I, would enjoy, I love when people prove me wrong. And I would love to see Daniel Jones be the guy. It'd be very, very convenient for New York if they already had the right quarterback for their franchise guy already on their roster. But I'm not sure that Daniel Jones is that guy. Now, maybe, here's a weird, I don't know that anyone else has proposed this trade idea. Maybe the Giants could trade for Matthew Stafford. You got your coach already. I love Joe Judge. You get your quarterback in place. I mean, that'd be, you get four or five years with Matthew Stafford. It'd be really, really fun. And who knows what they could build in that time frame. And then who could they could also maybe draft a quarterback in that time. I don't, and I understand some people aren't ready to give up on Daniel Jones. I understand that. Uh, but I, forgetting that, let's look at what they've done this year. The Giants are five and seven. Now, since week five, they are, they have a five and three record where those three losses all came against, they lost to Dallas by three. They lost to the Buccaneers by two points and they lost to the Eagles by one point. And so, the last eight games in a row for the Giants have been really, really competitive, really, really good. Either they won or they lost by three points or less. I walk away very impressed with that. I really love what the Giants are doing. And by the way, in those three losses that the Giants had, Daniel Jones had five turnovers. So the Giants, I think, found their coach. They need to get the quarterback position right. But once they do that, I, I feel really, really great about the Giants moving forward. They've come up. They really got to over a gigantic hurdle, which is getting the coach right. Once you get the coach right, then you figure out everything else. And I, I really am very happy and very impressed with the Giants. I love Joe Judge. He's done a great job. Um, and I, I was skeptical. I didn't know that Joe Judge was going to work. I thought some of the stuff he was talking about was kind of a little bit juvenile, a little bit college where he's like, we're going to hit in practice. He, did, he was doing a lot of certain things. I went, mm, I don't know that NFL guys are going to like that. And I'll tell you what, man, people appear to be responding to what Joe Judge is doing in New York. I know a 5-7 and seven record is not that impressive, but when you look at the progress New York has made from week one to now, it's, it's very impressive. I, I walk away going, you know what? The Giants are doing a lot to get better every single week, and I think that's awesome. So well done to Joe Judge. He looks like the right guy in New York, 
And that makes me happy. I mean, I'm happy for Giants fans. They got the right coach in place for them. Now, um, let me drink some water real quick. I, I gotta, I gotta keep ahead of it. Otherwise, it, you get really, your mouth gets really dry, and it's not very good for anybody. It's hard to talk, actually. The Packers beat the Eagles thirty to sixteen on Sunday, and uh, midway through the third quarter, they were losing twenty to three. The Eagles took out their starting quarterback Carson Wentz. And they put in Jalen Hurts. And I watched every single snap Jalen Hurts played. He's a rookie second-round pick out of Oklahoma. Remember, played at Alabama a little bit, too, in college. I watched every snap Jalen played. And I thought Jalen Hurts looked really, really good. Uh, He was only 5 for 12 passing. It's not that impressive. You're like, oh, only 5 completions. But he had 109 yards, 1 touchdown. Did have an interception. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But, he, I mean, he had a great throw down the left sideline to Jalen Rager. He ran around a couple times, escaping sacks. He had 29 yards rushing. And um, he converted a fourth down, not once, but twice in a row, where on fourth and eight, he threw the ball for 13 yards and a first down. That got called back for an offensive penalty. And then on fourth and 18, he ran around, extended the play, threw a touchdown for like a long touchdown. And I I just walked away going, the number one thing, Jalen Hurts had a couple big plays, but not that. He had the the throw to Jalen Rager, had the long touchdown, But for the most part, the thing that Jalen Hurts did really, really well was simply executing the offense. He didn't do anything crazy or outstanding like, oh my gosh, and that's not what he needed to do. The Eagles, for the longest time, have needed a quarterback simply to do the little things right. Carson Wentz has not been doing that. He's been trying to make way too many plays and missing throws inaccurately, and I've been sitting here at home for a long time thinking, man... I think Jalen Hurts could run this offense better, make better decisions, and be more accurate. Oh, and he was. (laughs) You know, I went, oh, wow, this is awesome. Jalen avoided the stupid throws and the terrible interceptions. He did have one interception, but it was because his arm got hit as he threw. And uh, the biggest thing that Jalen Hurts did when he played was he brought the Eagles to life. Jalen Hurts came in at quarterback, And it's not a coincidence that when that happened, other people around him started making plays. We saw, uh, you know, similarly, actually, a similar thing happened with uh, Nick Foles when he came in the game. So I don't know if that's an indictment on Carson Wentz, that he's just not a very inspiring person. I don't know what's going on there. But I do know that the Eagles were a different team when Jalen Hurts was their quarterback. Other people started making plays. And, in fact, that was when Jalen Reger had that really long what a 73-yard punt return. Like, Jalen Rager had his best play of the year right after Jalen Hurts came in the game. So the team was lifted up. It was very obvious watching. And uh, moving forward, I I walked away from that game wanting to see more of Jalen Hurts. And guess what? I have very good news. The Eagles have announced that Jalen Hurts will be their starting quarterback next Sunday against New Orleans. And uh, this is the right move, in my opinion, Here's why the Eagles need to give Jalen Hurts at least one more shot to start a game. The Eagles need to see and learn what they have with Jalen Hurts. As long as he keeps playing well, keep him in the game, keep seeing what he can do, because the Eagles are going to need to make a decision on Carson Wentz. And here's what I mean. They got four games left. They have the Saints, the Cardinals, then uh, the Cowboys, and Washington. And Philadelphia already knows what Carson Wentz is. They've had him play there forever. Uh, forever's a bit long, but they, they've seen him for now for a, a couple years in a row. He's been making mistakes all year. It's been really frustrating. And the thing that 
the Eagles do not know. The unknown commodity here is Jalen Hurts. We need to see how good Jalen Hurts is. That's how they need to feel. And people keep saying, you can't bench Carson Wentz. You're paying him too much money. I mean, people literally have been saying, the Eagles cannot afford to move on from Carson Wentz. He makes too much money. And I'll tell you what. Here's why you're wrong about that. You ever heard of the name Frank Reich? Frank Reich is the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Guess where he was before he was the head coach of the Colts? He was the offensive coordinator. Uh, He worked very closely with Carson Wentz in his best year ever in 2017 in that long Super Bowl Bowl run where before he got hurt, Carson Wentz probably would have won the NFL MVP prior to that injury. And so if the Eagles really are afraid of being stuck with a Carson Wentz contract, I would almost guarantee you, if nothing else, I am sure the Colts would be happy to take that contract. We'll take Carson Wentz. The coach has worked with him before. I think that Carson Wentz would have a much better career in Indianapolis than he would right now in Philadelphia. He'd have the coach he's familiar with, a better roster around him. We know Carson Wentz has not shown the ability to make good decisions and be patient with the football when there's not a lot of talent around him. He needs talent around him because otherwise he plays hero ball, he makes bad throws and bad decisions. It's ugly. And I am telling you, do not be afraid of trying to move Carson Wentz. If if nothing else, I am sure that the Colts would make the trade. We'll take Carson Wentz and his contract, if nothing else, for a seventh-round pick. I, I'm telling you, don't act like the Eagles could not move Carson Wentz. That's, that's impossible. There's a lot of teams around the NFL that would be happy to take his talent. This topic is not about Carson Wentz. Really, what needs to be figured out is how good is Jalen Hurts. If Jalen Hurts is the truth and he's a really good quarterback— it doesn't matter how good Carson Wentz is because you found a cheaper, better, more accurate, more consistent option than, uh, than Carson Wentz. So, again, it's a terrible, weird thing to say that the Eagles are stuck with Carson Wentz. It's just not true. And it's also been a terrible year. It's been awful. That's why the Eagles need to figure out how good is Jalen Hurts because they need to figure out how good he is to make a decision whether they move on from Carson Wentz or not. And so I think it's a great move for the Eagles to be starting Jalen Hurts next week. I heard that and went, hallelujah, I'm so happy. Uh, I am, cannot wait to keep watching more of Jalen Hurts. I'm a big believer in him. He's, he's really he's more accurate than people realize. And I think a lot of people, when Jalen Hurts was in college at Alabama, he was a liability throwing the football. I acknowledge that. And people, people to this day go, he can't throw the football. It's not very good. And they hold Jalen Hurts passed against him. Well, after being benched at Alabama, Jalen had a year sitting behind Tua Tungvaloa at Alabama, sitting, learning, working on his mechanics, getting more accurate, learning to grow as a passer. Then he went to Oklahoma. And all the growth he put into his career, we saw the fruits of that, all the work, all the hard work he does. We saw all the progress he made when he played at Oklahoma. And I went, wow, Jalen Hurts is a much better quarterback at Oklahoma than he ever was at Alabama because he put in the work, he got better. But a lot of people have a hard time accepting that he got better. People don't give anybody room to grow or develop or mature as a person or as an athlete or whatever. Jalen Hurts just got better. Do not hold the past against Jalen Hurts. He's not the same guy he was at Alabama. He's not even the same guy he was at Oklahoma. He's even better now today than he was back then. So have an open mind. Jalen Hurts has grown a lot as a quarterback in the last couple of years. He's much better today than he was even a year ago. And I I think playing Jalen Hurts, making him your starting quarterback, at least for this game to see what he can do, 
And if he keeps doing well, let's keep it rolling. I like the move. I like Jalen Hurts. And it was the right thing to make Jalen Hurts the starting quarterback in Philadelphia. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, uh, we're going to react to every week 13 game. We'll go through that. I'm going to break a rule we'll have never broken before. We'll talk about Formula One. We'll do Ask Zach. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Um, this next topic, I think has, I think it's going to deserve kind of a long intro. And if it comes out long, that I stand by that. I'm okay with that because I think it deserves it and it needs it. I'm going to do something I haven't done all year in 2020. I've got a personal rule I've used all year where um, I only talk about a football game once I've watched it. And it's kind of silly because it's getting in the way of, I think, making good content. People are getting really frustrated with me. They're like, you haven't talked about this game at all. It's Thursday. And people don't like when I wait until Thursday to finally get to talking about a game. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to react to every final score from Sunday and Monday of week 13. Um, but I want to be honest. I just want to tell you, I haven't watched every single game this week yet. Um, these are kind of my impressions before I watch the games. But I want to get something out about every game before the week gets on too late so people aren't mad at me like, how could you wait until this point to talk about it? Um, because I usually, I watch every single game every single week. That's a lot of football. It usually takes me until around Thursday to get through every single game of the week. And uh, so far this week, I've watched the Browns-Titans game. I watched the Seahawks-Giants game in its entirety. I watched the, the end of the Raiders-Jets game, that weird game where we'll talk about it in a minute. Uh, I watched every Chargers offensive snap against New England. I saw, I skipped through and watched all six turnovers of the Jaguars and Vikings game. I watched every snap of Jalen Hurts against the Packers. And I saw the very end of the Lions and Bears game. Other than that, I haven't seen anything else. I, you know, I've watched a couple snippets and highlights. I don't really count that. Um, so I haven't seen everything from the whole week. Um, but I want to react to what happened on Sunday and Monday. But I also don't want to pretend like I did watch it, and I don't want to mislead you guys. So, um, you know, I watch every game of the week. Again, it takes days and days to do. And uh, some of the stuff you'll hear me say, I'm excited to watch that. Here's what happened. but And I'll, I'm surprised at what happened or this or that. Let's just jump in. Um, the Lions beat the Bears 34-30. to And, you know, it actually does seem like Mitchell Trubisky had a very, very solid game where he— I don't know, going, you know, going into the fourth quarter, I went, you know what? The Bears, they're leading. They're doing pretty well. And then at the end of the fourth quarter, Mitchell Trubisky, of course, he Trubisky'd it where uh, it's kind of insane. The Bears have the ball third and four on their own 17-yard line. They had a three-point lead. There's a minute and 54 seconds left. And Mitchell Trubisky somehow fumbled the ball, gave the ball back to the Lions, set up a first and goal on the seven-yard line for Detroit. Two plays later, Detroit scored. They win the game. And it's just so bad. I, I, I told you, I refuse to believe in a team led by Mitchell Trubisky. This is why. This is exactly... Unfortunately, Trubisky is unable to prove his doubters wrong. He had a costly mistake at the end of the game, handed the game over to the Lions, and uh, it's just kind of insane how bad this was. He handed the game to the Lions. It's kind of crazy to me. I just go, man, of course Mitchell Trubisky made that critical mistake at the end of the game. You know, the Saints beat the Falcons. Uh, I got this game wrong. I did pick the Falcons to win. Uh, I was actually really close. I mean, I was sitting at home 
well, I guess I was, where was, I was driving back from my grandma's house going, oh, maybe, like, maybe it's going to work. And my girlfriend's driving. I'm sitting in the passenger seat. And uh, I'm like, man, the Falcons have the ball. End of the fourth quarter. And the Falcons did. They had an opportunity at the end of the fourth quarter, a chance to take the lead. But Atlanta couldn't score. They were driving. They had an 11-play, 65-yard drive. It ended on a fourth and nine with a minute and a half left. And uh, so the Falcons did lose the game, uh, I think, 21-16. to And uh, Taysom Hill had two touchdown passes for the Saints. That's pretty cool. I'm excited to watch that game. I want to see how Taysom Hill does. Uh, And uh, a lot of people are saying maybe Taysom Hill is the guy long-term. And they say he proved it in this game. We'll find out. I'll watch uh, later this week. The Dolphins beat the Bengals 19-7. Looks like Tua had a great game. I'm excited to watch that. I just feel bad for Cincinnati. Their quarterback, Joe Burrow, is hurt. And they are just a, they're a gimped football team right now. Now, the Raiders beat the Jets 31-20. The Raiders won on a crazy touchdown pass to Henry Ruggs with five seconds left. And uh, I got to say, I have no idea why the Jets were running, you know, man coverage with no help on Henry Ruggs. Like, where's the Hail Mary defense? There's The the ball is snapped with 13 seconds left. Don't you know the Raiders are going to throw the ball to the end zone? It made no sense to me. Uh, And uh, the very next day, the Jets fired their defensive coordinator, Greg Williams. Uh, I got to say, though, even though, so for a couple things, first of all, I was surprised it took a Hail Mary for the Raiders to beat the Jets. That's ridiculous. That should never happen. The the Raiders are a team I thought was doing very well. Then they got crushed by Atlanta. They barely beat the Jets. What is going on? I want to watch that game to see what's happening with the Raiders right now. And then also with the Jets, honestly, people were furious. Like, how could we blow this game? The Jets fans were like, how could we do this? How could we give up a touchdown with five seconds left? I understand the heat of the moment. You're upset and frustrated. Like, you finally thought you were going to win a game. But take a deep breath, take a, you know, step back away from the situation and recognize that losing this game helps you. you the Jets do not want to win a game. Going 0-16 at this point is good for New York because it helps them get the number one overall pick. So uh, weird game. I can't believe it took a Hail Mary for the Raiders to beat the Jets, but losing does help the Jets. Same with the Jaguars. The Jaguars lost in overtime. The Jaguars lost 27-24 to to the Vikings, uh, and it was an ugly game. There were just so there were six total turnovers. Uh, Kirk Cousins had a pick six. Uh, Mike Glenn and the Jaguars quarterback had three turnovers. He had a costly interception in overtime that led to the game-winning field goal by Minnesota. And uh, as I was watching this game, as I, I, I didn't as I was watching it, I was watching on my phone the box score and the little there's a little people moving back and forth, the little stick figures or whatever, and you watch the ball move. And I, I guess as I watched the score flip to Minnesota winning in overtime. I sat there and thought, man, that's still good for the Jaguars. Like, it helps you get Justin Fields and have potentially the number two overall pick. Like, the Jaguars are another team. They don't want to win. Winning hurts them. It gives you a worse draft pick. So, and what you really don't want to have happen is have Cincinnati get the number two overall pick, and then they trade it away to another team, and another team gets your quarterback you want. So, the Jaguars cannot afford to screw around. I know that the coaching staff is working hard to win and keep their jobs, but the Jaguars do not want to win a game the rest of the year. They want to try to get that number two overall pick, if not maybe the number one overall pick. So uh, winning is good or losing is good for the Jaguars and the Jets right now. And if you're a Jaguars or Jets fan, you're actually hoping every week you lose the game. And that's exactly what happened to the Jets and the Jaguars this week. Uh, Washington beat the Steelers 23 to 17 last night on Monday Night Football. I did tell you, 
I said, look out for the upset. I thought the Steelers were going to win, but I said, there's a potential here for Washington to win this game, and they did. Bam, it happened. And so Ron Rivera has done a phenomenal job all year. I watched a little bit of this game as I was preparing the show. I was supposed to record last night. I, I had a long weekend trip. I ran out of gas. Um, the little I saw, the Raiders defensive line does such a good job. I mean, I really, they stop the run very, very well. They force people back inside. The edge rushers do uh, on Washington. It looks like Alex Smith had a great game. Uh, on my list of games to watch, this is the very next game I'm going to watch. I'm excited to watch Washington at the Steelers and see what happened. Uh, Kansas City beat the Broncos 22-16. to uh, Denver actually had the lead late in the third quarter. Like I, I went, man, this was a competitive game. And what I really can't wait to see is Broncos and Chiefs next year when Denver is fully healthy and has all their people back in place and all, you know, all their players back. Um, I, I want to see Denver be able to continue to challenge Kansas City and maybe even beat them next year when Denver's back at full strength after COVID and after uh, their injuries and people are back healthy. The Colts beat the Texans 26-20. to 20. This looks like this game is really exactly what I predicted it to be. Uh, Deshaun Watson fought very hard. He made it close. But in the end, the Colts were a better team, and they won the game. Now, the Rams beat the Cardinals 38-28. Uh, to 28. The Rams are now 8-4. and four. Arizona is now 6-6. Six and six. And, uh, look, coaching matters. Sean McVay is simply a better coach than Cliff Kingsbury. And I know it's 2020. I know things are weird with COVID and everything. But after, after 13 games, I really did have higher expectations for Arizona. I thought they'd be better than 6-6 six and six at this point in the year. And uh, I, I think a lot of that has to fall on the coach because Kyler's been playing great. They got, uh, they got new players on defense. They've got, I mean, where does the vault have to go? It's got to go on the coach. And I, you can't have that many weapons and have that good of a quarterback and new additions on defense and not have the, and have the record that they're 6-6. Six and six. They should be much better. And uh, I like Cliff Kingsbury. It's only year two. I know it's weird. I have patience for Cliff, but feels like he got outcoached what I saw. Uh, of the Rams-Cardinals game on Sunday. The Bills beat the 49ers. I cannot wait to watch this game. It was Monday Night Football last night. Josh Allen was 32 for 40 passing, had 375 yards, four total touchdowns. Uh, the Bills won 34 to 24. The Bills are 9-3. and three. I guess maybe Josh Allen had a rushing touchdown. I, I haven't watched the game. I don't know. I know he had four touchdown passes, and I go, that's got to be awesome. I can't wait to watch that game and see how Josh Allen did. Uh, again, the Bills are 9-3. and three. That's a huge deal. The Patriots beat the Chargers 45-0. to zero. Ugh, awful. Uh, I, I watched every offensive snap for L.A. in this game. Justin Herbert had two interceptions. And I want to point out, man, if L.A. does fire their head coach, Anthony Lynn, it's so important that they get it right with their next head coach. They have to get their next head coach right because this is a very, very delicate thing. You have a crazy, talented, young quarterback, Justin Herbert. And what you can't do is get the wrong guy in there and mess up his progress. I watched RG3 play football last Wednesday uh, in that Ravens against Steelers game. And remember, RG3 at one point won the Rookie of the Year award. People thought, he is going to be the franchise guy in Washington. It's going to be amazing. Well, he got hurt. Coaches got fired. He fell off a cliff. And RG3 is now a bad quarterback. I, I just... He is not what he needs to be, and he never progressed. He never really got better. And so I don't know how that could possibly happen to Justin Herbert. I think he throws the ball better. He's a bigger athlete. He's not, gonna, he's not really injury-prone. Like 
I don't see how Justin Herbert doesn't succeed in the NFL at this point. He's really, really good. But it is possible that if you get on the wrong coach and things go poorly, that it, it, things could go wrong. I mean, I guess I'll just point out, despite how well Justin's done and all his skill sets and everything he's got going for him, he's also not safe. I mean, we've seen in the past people win Rookie of the Year, which Justin is likely to win this year, and then follow it up with not a great career. So I would be wary. Uh, Justin needs to keep getting good coaching. And they need to help him keep making progress as a quarterback. And so I think the unsung hero of Justin Herbert's rookie year is his quarterback coach, Pep Hamilton. He's a former XFL head coach. Pep Hamilton is doing really, really well. And I know people want to fire Anthony Lynn. But Anthony Lynn wouldn't be the only person fired. If you fire Anthony Lynn, you fire the entire staff because the new coach is going to come in. And it's not quite fair to make him, to force him to hire other people. He's going to hire his own staff. And I just would tell you, I don't know that I would want to mess up the chemistry right now with Peb Hamilton and Justin Herbert. What they're doing in the film room, the progress they're making, I wouldn't want to fire that guy. And so I would be very, very careful. If you fire Anthony Lynn, you better get it right with the next coach or else you're going to hurt your franchise quarterback and uh, not get him the coaching and help him make the progress that he needs to make moving forward. Now, there are three more games I want to talk about. I've already done big topics about these. Uh, the Giants beat Seattle 17-12. to I walked away going, wow, I am really impressed with the Giants head coach, Joe Judge. He's done a great job. Uh, the Packers beat the Eagles 30-16. to uh, Jalen Hurts played quarterback for Philly for most of the second half. Uh, he brought a spark that was much needed in Philadelphia, played very well. He's going to be the starter next week again in New Orleans. And then the Browns beat the Titans 41-35. to uh, the Browns were up 38-7 to at halftime, and uh, Baker Mayfield was nearly flawless. So uh, there's one more game left in Week 13. It'll be later today. Uh, the Ravens play the Cowboys. It should be very interesting. But I walked away going, man, Week 13 had so much good football across the board. And uh, I think that the game I'm most excited to watch, either the Monday night games looked really, really good. We had the 49ers-Bills looked great, and then I want to watch that Washington Steelers game uh, going to be a lot of fun. A couple good games I want to watch. I want to watch what happened with Kyler Murray. Um, a lot of stuff ahead, but I hope you enjoyed. It's my first time ever doing a segment like that all year where I talk about games I haven't watched in their entirety yet. And uh, I hope that that's enough insight to carry people over until I get back to the games later in the week and do deeper analysis of each game. Uh, but that's what I have to say just generally about what's happened so far in NFL Week 13. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do some, we'll talk about the F1 race, the Secure Grand Prix, and then we'll do some Ask Zach questions and get out of here. Uh, I love you. I hope you have a great day. I'm going to take a short break. I guess, I don't know why I said have a great day. We're still going. We got more show ahead of us. Uh, I'm just tired and stupid and doing the best I can. Uh, we'll talk about the F1 race and we'll do Ask Zach up ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. Uh, let's jump into Formula One. On Sunday, we had the Secure Grand Prix in uh, Bahrain. And uh, here are the three podium finishers. Uh, we had Sergio Perez, who won. We had Esteban Ocon, who got second. And we had Lance Stroll in third place. A uh, double podium for Racing Point. Kind of cool for them. But number one, I want to say that every single week, it gets more and more ridiculous that Sergio Perez doesn't have anywhere to drive next year. I, I go, how is this possible that all of F1 is just snubbing him? It's, it makes no sense to me. 
The dude is literally winning races, and yet nobody wants him. I go, what's happening here? It's clearly ridiculous. It's clearly money and politics and stupid nonsense. Uh, and I, my honest thought is that Red Bull had better make a move to go get Sergio Perez. They're number two right now in Formula One. They cannot beat Mercedes. And a big part of why they can't challenge Mercedes is part of it is their car. And part of it is because they haven't had a number two driver at all this year who could push, you know, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen and Valtteri Bottas. They couldn't have anybody to help them in their strategy. It was basically Max racing alone against two Mercedes all year. Go get Sergio Perez. I don't know what's going on. And maybe part of it is because Red Bull doesn't want to completely lose Alex Albin. Totally fine. I understand that. Uh, maybe they feel like they've been developing him and they can't afford to lose him, or I'm sure a lot of it's sponsorship money. He's got sponsorships in Thailand. Totally fine. I get that. But remove Daniel Kvyat and move Alex Albin down to Alpha Tauri. But for 2021, the, the Red Bull lineup had better be Max Verstappen and Sergio Perez. If it's not, then I, it's crazy to me. It's also crazy that nobody else wants him. Like, does nobody want to be competitive? Other than the team in America, Haas, Haas or Haas, I can never say their name right. Uh, I, what what's happening here? Because I don't want Sergio Perez talent wasted with the crappy American team. I don't know what's going. It just it makes no sense to me, and uh, I, I just I don't know. It's it's absolute lunacy. If Sergio Perez cannot find anywhere to drive next year in 2021 in Formula One, now on lap one of the Secure Grand Prix, Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc uh, wiped out. Leclerc didn't leave enough room for Sergio Perez around the inside. They ran into each other. That busted uh, Leclerc's Ferrari. Max Verstappen swerved to avoid them, ran into the barrier. And so even after lap one, it's kind of crazy. You know, Max and, uh, Verstappen, and Max Verstappen and Charles Leclerc were out. And Sergio Perez had to take a pit stop, and yet he still won the race. I mean, it, show, it goes to show how good Sergio Perez is, how good that car is, uh, the racing point Mercedes. But also, it's worth noting Mercedes should have won this race. It's kind of crazy. For most of the race, Mercedes had a one and two spot where George Russell was leading and Valtteri Bottas was right behind him. But then they had a really, really badly butchered pit stop where they tried to double stack. They put uh, George Russell in. They gave him the wrong tires. They also gave Valtteri Bottas the wrong tires. George Russell left. They realized the problem. They had to circle him back around, get the right tires on his car. No penalty there because they did it within three laps. They took Valtteri Bottas' tires on, put them on, realized these are the wrong tires. They took them back off, put his old tires on. So basically, he wasted 52 seconds sitting, you know, taking a pit stop, didn't even get new tires. And by the way, kind of crazy, a 52-second pit stop is, here's why that's important, a, a lap time at the Secure Grand Prix. The fastest lap recorded on the day was George Russell with 55 seconds. So basically, Valtteri Bottas took an entire lap's worth of time doing a pit stop, that put him way behind. It took him out of second place for sure. Uh, and, I mean, it just goes to show it's a ridiculous amount of time. Mercedes massively screwed up here and cost themselves a race victory for sure. And I feel bad for George Russell, who was racing for Lewis Hamilton, who's out with COVID. And I feel like everybody's really believed that. We, we've all sat at home thinking, I bet George Russell would be great if he got a good car. Well, uh, yeah, that was totally proven right on Sunday where I, mean, I feel like we saw maybe the beginning of a, a star in Formula 1. George Russell outperformed Valtteri Bottas, the other Mercedes driver. Remember, Bottas has driven the car all year. He knows the Mercedes very well. 
George Russell's brand new. He was literally asking during uh, the formation lap, where's the overtake button? So he didn't get it wrong. I mean, George Russell's still learning the car, and he outperformed the other Mercedes driver. I think really this weekend, if anything, was an indictment on Valtteri Bottas. He was a fine driver. But really, the car elevates Valtteri Bottas. Valtteri Bottas does not elevate the car. It's brutal. It's also true. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I, I don't know how I, the ideal lineup next year would be George Russell. And I, I guess here, here's the one thing I'll say in favor of Valtteri Bottas. I don't want to be too hard on the guy. You know, he had a puncture. He had some problems with that. He had that really bad pit stop. Um, he was getting outpaced by George Russell for most of the race. But also, you got to say, the dude is very consistent. Criticize him for whatever you want. He's probably, he's near, nowhere near the best driver in F1. But at the minimum, he's a very, very consistent driver who regularly finishes in podium places and does well. And Mercedes is very happy with him. So I understand, like, they're, they're in no hurry to get rid of him. Uh, but certainly George Russell. Um, George Russell's probably the most exciting drive I've seen from Mercedes all year where Lewis Hamilton is dominant and amazing. And that's actually kind of boring because he's so far ahead every time. When you have a guy like George Russell winning a race, you go, oh, this is interesting. It's new. It's different. It's fun. And the, the three drivers who've led the most laps in F1 all year are <laughs> Lewis Hamilton, Valdry Botas, and now George Russell's in the top with them. It's kind of crazy. Like, Mercedes dominates this sport, and uh, I, I just want to see Valt uh, George Russell in a good car. And I felt so bad for him, man, where he's going to win, then they screwed up the pit stop, then he was going to podium, but they had to send him back to the pits to take off his tires and put on the right tires again. Then he had a puncture, so he, he went from first place to podium to points. He ended up getting back into the points with really good driving, got ninth place. Um, and that is George Russell's first ever points in Formula One. But uh, I just, man, it's, oh, it's so, I feel so bad for him. I also got to say, people all year I've heard people say, like, the Mercedes car is really bad at following. And they always say that when Valtteri Bottas is trying to get ahead of people and pass people to get back up into the lead. I've I, I heard all year, the Mercedes car is not very good at following. I heard that so many times. And that appears to only be true when Valtteri Bottas is driving. Because Lewis Hamilton at times has driven right through the pack up to the front multiple times. We've seen um, George Russell did it on Sunday. People keep saying this thing, it's just nonsensical, not quite true. Like, I get it. They're not supposed to be the... They're, they're supposed to lead... The Mercedes car is designed to lead from the front. And they're not really particularly designed for a bunch of passing and overtakes and driving in traffic. I get that. But it does really show how bad Valtteri Bottas is at overtaking, is at getting away, is at driving through traffic. Like, George Russell and Lewis Hamilton have done a much better job all year, whereas you hear that repeated mistake where people say, well, Bottas can't do it because the car isn't set up for it. Come on, that's just getting really weird and thin. Uh, I also want to give a shout-out to Esmon Ocon. Uh, Esteban Ocon got his first ever podium on Sunday uh, at the Secure Grand Prix. I'm happy for him. He's had a, a kind of a tumultuous year where, I mean, there were moments where Daniel Ricciardo was like, get out of my way. And they just, he, he kind of puts his head down and gets out of the way of Daniel Ricciardo. And he's gotten a lot of criticism all year. I always liked uh, Esteban Ocon. He comes from a lot more humble beginnings than a lot of other people in Formula One. I always liked him on Drive to Survive. And I'm really happy for him. Now, currently in Formula 1, the two big battles right now, uh, there's the battle for third in the Constructors' Cup where we got one race left, Abu Dhabi. And Racing Point right now uh, is in third place with 194 points. Right behind them, you have McLaren in fourth place with 184. And then Renault has 172 points in fifth place. Ferrari is so far back, they're like the 130s. They're not 
I don't have any chance to win or get third place right now. Uh, Racing Point should be the favorite to get third place. I, I feel really good about. I mean, Lance Stroll is is fine. Sergio Perez is racing really good. They probably have the fastest car. Uh, but it also feels like anything could happen. This final race, whether it's a, a DNF, screws things up, or does McLaren have a great day? Does uh, Renault have a great day? Like Anything could happen in this Abu Dhabi race. And the thing you got to watch for is who's going to get third place in the Constructors' Championship, Racing Point, McLaren, or Renault. And then uh, I also got to say, I'm also happy for Otmar Sapnauer. I remember... Man, two weeks ago at the Bahrain Grand Prix, we had Otmar Safnauer hand in his head down after Sergio Perez's car blew up. From He was in a podium place. His car blew up with three laps to go. Otmar was crushed. So Otmar Safnauer, the team principal for Racing Point, watching him get a double podium on Sunday, I went, oh, that makes me so happy. I want him to keep his job. I love the guy, and I'm good for him. And I, I find myself rooting for Racing Point to get uh, that third place spot. Remember, they were docked. 15 points in the Constructors' Championship because people accused them of copying Mercedes' car and that whole debacle. They should be in the lead by even more. So they should be not 10 points ahead, but 25 points ahead of everybody else for third place. So uh, I want to see justice done. I know you could argue justice is racing point getting screwed over. I, I think that they've raced really well all year. They've had so many points taken away from them. And I want to see racing point get third place. I think it'd be very, very cool. So it's kind of weird. Think about it this way. You had... Uh, you had Sergio Perez on the podium, Esteban Ocon on the podium, and Lance Stroll on the podium. You remember Team Force India? It's kind of weird. Like, you had either a former driver for Team Force India, who was who is now, remember, Racing Point became what, or, Team Force India became Racing Point, uh, and Esteban Ocon used to drive for them. So all three drivers on the podium on Sunday were either a driver for, uh, racing point or a former driver for that same team kind of cool kind of weird kind of quirky i like seeing that now in the driver standings you have Valtteri botas in second place with 205 points you have max verstappen in third with 189 points and it's going to be a fun battle next week because Valtteri botas leads by what is that i don't want to do the math there uh 205 minus 187 a 16 he has a 16 point lead on Max Verstappen right now in F1. So if Max wins next week with 25 points, then Botas finishes in sixth or worse, which is be eight points or less, then Max Verstappen would get second place in F1. And then if Max gets second place, 18 points, then Valtteri Botas has to finish just in ninth or better, get three points or more, and then Botas gets second place. So basically what we're going to see next week is a lot of Max needs to win, but win by a certain amount so that Valtteri Botas doesn't get second place in F1. Um, if Max gets third place in Abu Dhabi, that's 15 points plus fastest lap. And then let's say that somehow Valtteri Botas does not finish or doesn't get in the points next week. Then we'd have a weird moment where Max Verstappen and Valtteri Botas would tie uh, for their position with 205 points in Formula One. So I'm curious, man. It should be really fun. I don't know who's going to win. The battle for second is going to be fun. The battle for third and the Constructors' Cup is going to be fun. Uh, I am not confident that Max Verstappen can beat Valtteri Bottas at this point where Max really has to pray for something to go wrong with tires or to him to not finish in the points or have a DNF where he doesn't finish. Uh, otherwise, I don't know how Max Verstappen can beat Valtteri Bottas badly enough where uh, Max will win and get second place. But we'll see. It's an interesting storyline to follow. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's also worth noting... On Sunday, we saw two new guys race in F1. We saw uh, Jack Aitken 
and uh, Pietro Fittipaldi. Uh, Aiken finished in 16th place, and uh, Fittipaldi finished in 17th. It's not really noteworthy. They were the two slowest drivers on the day, one racing for Williams, one racing for Haas. Um, I don't, eh, like it didn't move the needle for me at all. I didn't really care. I never heard of them. I think, I think Pietro Fittipaldi is actually American, which is kind of cool and interesting. Uh, although I think he races under the Brazil license, so it doesn't, doesn't matter anyway. Um, but it's, I don't know. We'll see. I, I, I'm excited for next week. I don't know if Lewis Hamilton's going to drive. I don't know why Lewis Hamilton would drive. Uh, he, he's already won. He sounds like he's dealing with COVID. And I think I, I personally really want to see George Russell race again for Mercedes. So I, I hate to say it. I'm kind of rooting for Lewis Hamilton to stay out, stay away, um, come back next year or not. I, I really like watching George Russell race for Mercedes. It's fun. It's interesting. And uh, I, Lewis Hamilton, I, I've always said this in sports, man. When someone is the best and they're really truly dominant, it's not interesting. I mean, I it's uh, I look at in, in the NFL. You have the Kansas City Chiefs; they're so good, and Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL by a mile. I don't actually enjoy watching that. I I, I can respect. Look, I, I, on one hand, I do because I really admire people who are great at their craft, and I watch. I like watching people like play at a high level, uh, and watching anybody play at a high level is interesting or, or race at a high level. Um, but I've gotten to the point where I've watched Lewis Hamilton race so much, and I, I'm kind of over the – I get it. It's a spectacle. He's amazing. I get it. I understand. He's the best ever, whatever. But I I really want to see um, – I'm kind of bored of the success. I'm kind of bored of how great he is, and I want to watch something interesting. And I'll tell you what, George Russell and a Mercedes, that's, that's really, really interesting. It's really, really fun. I loved watching it on Sunday. I hope we get another taste of that next week. I don't know that we will, but it'd be cool if we did. All right, uh, you know what? I was going to take a break, but let's just finish the show. It's time for Ask Zach. Uh, it's my favorite part of the show. It's where I answer questions from the audience, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, or ideas. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. Uh, you give a dollar a month. Uh, a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent, but that's a dollar a month. A dollar a month, that's $12 an entire year, uh, and I get like... I get like what thirty three cents of that because because uh, of taxes and everything. So, for the meager amount of a dollar a month, you can submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to answer it on the show, but I do guarantee I look at every single question, comment, concern, thought, or idea with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the show. So, let's start with David. David writes in. David says, "Hey Zach." Do you think Justin Fields could or should be picked ahead of Trevor Lawrence? If not, what do you think needs to happen for Fields to be considered the number one pick? Thank you. David, uh, look, the conversation has to happen here where whether it's the Jets or the Jaguars or, you know, whoever has that number one overall pick, it has to be at least considered uh, picking Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence because, I mean, as a coach, I'd be pretty confident that I could teach either one of these guys how to be an NFL quarterback. Trevor Lawrence is a really proficient quarterback. So is Justin Fields. They're very smart. They both work really hard. Um, But here's the one thing you can't teach. The one thing you cannot teach a quarterback is athletic ability. That's just something you have or you don't. And Trevor Lawrence is no slouch. Trevor Lawrence can, dude can move. I remember, I think, I believe it was either the Ohio State game or the LSU game. He had that big, long touchdown run last year in the college football playoff. I mean, Trevor Lawrence can move around. 
But Justin Fields is next level. Justin Fields runs like a running back. He bounces off of tackles. People can't sack him in the backfield. They'll spin away. I mean, Justin Fields is truly a better athlete than Trevor Lawrence. And so also consider the Jets are 0-16, and the Jets are not very good. The Jets need a quarterback who can escape pressure. And I would pick Trevor Lawrence because he's got slightly more NFL habits. He's a little better. Like when you blitz Trevor Lawrence, he often knows where his outlet is. He's a little bit more mature as a passer, but it's like neck and neck. I mean, people don't realize how close Justin Fields is to being Trevor Lawrence. They're just right right there neck and neck with each other. It's a lot closer than people realize even. I think people just assume it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I would not be shocked if it was, in fact, Justin Fields. And really, you have to ask yourself, how important is athletic ability? I mean, we. I, I just, do you want a quarterback who can spin away out of a sack and run for 40 yards? I mean, because that's, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is going to do a lot of that in the NFL. And uh, you also have to ask yourself, and you can only know this from talking to the guys face-to-face, but when you talk to Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields, if the Jets feels like one team is more hungry than the other, you got to go with that guy. Who, who's more driven to work hard and win? Uh, and then you talk to you have conversations with them and the people around them. I don't know that there's really a difference between these two guys in that aspect. I think they both work incredibly hard. They both love football. Um, I think... I really love the improvement Justin Fields has made this year. He had that one really bad game against Indiana, a bunch of mistakes. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I just, if I was a coach, I'd be confident. I could teach Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence to play at a high level. They're both very, very great throwers of the football. They both got really some good athletic gifts. And uh, I, I just think it's neck and neck. And if, if Justin Fields does get picked over Trevor Lawrence, I'm not going to be shocked or amazed. It's, I'm going to go, yeah, they wanted a quarterback who could run around. It makes total sense to me. And it also comes down to whatever coach gets hired by the Jets. Does the coach want Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence? I would hope you pick the quarterback your coach wants to work with. So uh, we'll see. But again, it's a lot closer than people realize. Okay, Allie writes in. It's a fun one. Uh, Allie says, Hi, Zach. I want to start off by saying that I really enjoyed listening to your podcast. Uh, I am a big sports fan, and I've been looking for a good sports pod for a while, and I think I found it. I hope you did. I think I, think I got a great show. Uh, Anyway, rather than a question, I thought it would be nice to share a few fun facts about sports and the world in general with you and your audience. Number one, Larry Fitzgerald has more career tackles, 39, than he does career drops, 29. Number two, every single wild horse in is, is every single wild horse in the world is a descendant of a horse that was once in captivity, but escaped. Interesting. Uh, number three, at Harvard University, Bobby Kennedy, brother of John J. Kennedy, was uh, a starter and scored a touchdown in the first game of his senior year before breaking his leg in practice. In order to earn his letter, he played in a cast in the last game of the 1947 season against Yale. That got him his letter mark in college football. Um, number four, ketchup was sold in the 1830s as medicine. And number five, did you know that President Abraham Lincoln is in the Wrestling Hall of Fame Hope you have a great day, Zach. So, Allie, I, not that I don't trust you, but I was like, well, this is a lot of, lot of claims here. And so I, I looked online. I verified all the stuff. They're all true. Everything that Allie just said, it's all true. Uh, ketchup was once sold as a medicine. It was believed to have medical properties. Uh, it was used to cure, you know, to quote, cure <laughs> diarrhea and indigestion. I don't really like ketchup, so I, would, I never would have had that benefit. Uh, I always mix, uh, like, Frank's red hot sauce with either ranch or mayo, mix it all up together. It's like mix a spicy buffalo mayo. Oh, it's so good. 
either spicy buffalo mayo or spicy buffalo ranch. They're both phenomenal. They're great on, you know, the, I, I'm really cheap, so I buy, like, the the frozen fries at Winco or the frozen uh, chicken nuggets. I don't go buy chicken nuggets like McDonald's. I'd rather make it myself. It's uh, I think it's just cheaper in the long run, and so I do that. And then I, I did look up Abraham Lincoln. It's kind of crazy. He only ever lost. So the Bobby Kennedy thing is true. Like, everything Ali said is true. But the shocking one to me was that Abraham Lincoln was a great wrestler. He only has one recorded loss ever, and that was losing to Hank Thompson. Uh, and I just, I, I was looking at Abraham Lincoln. It kind of sent me down a long rabbit hole where, you know, it's it's kind of crazy. There are pictures of Abraham Lincoln. He died in 1865, but there's a ton of pictures of the dude. And I, I just, I forget, like there are pictures of old, old stuff. And it kind of got my mind going where, imagine, I, I would imagine this podcast could live on long after I die someday. It's a wild thought. Like my great grandkids could listen to the show and feel like they're hanging out with their great grandpa. Uh, and, and maybe, I mean, here's another crazy thought. Maybe right this moment, they're hearing my voice listening to me say that. So, hey, great grandkids, if you're out there, I'm sorry, I'm never going to meet you. I'm probably too old to ever have met you. I love you. Hope you hope you're hope you're doing well. I, I, I would love to. I hope you know. I'm thinking about you guys right this moment. It's kind of cool. Um, it's a crazy meta thought. Like, oh my gosh, like people in the future years from now could be listening to me say these words right now. I don't know why you would. Why would you go listen to a random sports podcast from 20 years ago? I have no idea. But if anybody's doing that, hey, welcome to the show. Very cool to hear from you. Hope you're doing well. And that's where, you know, a picture of Abraham Lincoln got me just down that train of thought. Like, that's kind of crazy. We have pictures of Abraham Lincoln, a dude who died in the, you know, the after 1850. It's like, wow. It's just 1865 is when he died. And you can look at the dude's face and what it really looked like kind of crazy to me. Connor writes in, says, hey, Zach, feeling super bummed about my cards lately. So wondering how much leeway do you give? Uh, how much leeway do you think we should give Cliff Kingsbury? I know it's only a second year and he's a young coach, but he's starting to feel out of his depth. If he were to leave, who would be your number one candidate for the head coaching role with love from the UK, Connor? Um, I think number one, the biggest problem with Cliff Kingsbury, when you look at you know, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Kevin Stefanski, the coach in Cleveland, uh, Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. There's all these young, offensive-minded coaches around the NFL. I would include Cliff Kingsbury in that list. But what makes Cliff Kingsbury different from all those other coaches is that all the other offenses benefit from and use and value play action. They run the ball heavily. They do hard play action. Cliff is the only young offensive coach in the entire NFL who doesn't really have anything under center. There's no plays where you catch the snap and you turn and you're doing a, a hard play action. You get your head down, you flip around, you look downfield. There's really nothing like that in the Cardinals offense. And I understand it's okay to be unique and different. And it's only year two. But I really expected Arizona to be a lot better than six and six after 13 weeks. And uh, it's been COVID. It's a tough year for sure. But on Sunday, my impression of the Rams-Cardinals game was he just got outcoached and outclassed by Sean McVay. And so who would I replace uh, Cliff Kingsbury with? Maybe Eric the Enemy. I, I, I think it's too early to bail on Cliff Kingsbury entirely. But also you have a really good roster in a moment in a situation where it's going to be time to win now very, very quickly in Arizona. You can't miss your window with your roster. And I, I think that Arizona at some point is going to want to have – they run the ball very well. But what they don't – the way they run the ball, they don't have the benefit of play action the same way a team like – Cleveland or Green Bay or the 49ers or the Rams do. And that does hurt them. I mean, 
these young coaches in the NFL, they all value and use play action, and Cliff Kingsbury doesn't seem to do that. That's hurting him. I think it's interesting. Like, huh. I, I hope Cliff Kingsbury keeps his job. Uh, I I like him as a person, and I think he's a great... I, I like him. I don't love him, though. And I, I hope things keep getting better in Arizona. But right now it feels like maybe Cliff Kingsbury has hit a ceiling uh, in, in uh, Arizona with the Cardinals. I hope I'm wrong, but we'll see what happens. Okay, uh, Tad HG, I don't know how to say that name. I apologize. He writes in, he says, Hi, Zach's eyeballs. I have always loved football, and anytime I get to throw a football, it gives me energy that nothing else can come close to. I really understand that. When I hold, I hold a football a lot in my house. I just, I carry it around all the time. I have like, I have six leather footballs just everywhere. GSTs, and I have an NFL ball. I have a, a Vapor 1. I have a couple, uh, what are they, the other... 1005s, the Wilson balls. I, I have footballs everywhere, and I just, I just, I carry them around the house. I practice footwork in my stupid mirror, like a, like a ten-year-old, and it, it makes me feel really good and happy and full of energy and full of life. And I do that all the time, so I totally understand that. Uh, Tad HG writes in, he says, "So I love football. However, my parents, when I was young, never let me play football, thinking that I was going to suffer a serious injury. When or if you have children, what is your mindset towards that?" So I don't know that I'm going to make my kids play football or encourage them to play football or whatever. I'm just going to encourage my kids to do something. And I'll let them decide. Do they want to do chess? Do they want to do, uh, do, they want to do robotics club? I think that's great. Go do some computer science. Do they want to do piano? Do they want to do sports? Do they want to make videos? Do they want to be a painter? Whatever my kids are interested in, I'm going to try to just – I think I'll have enough money and resources to just kind of give them the tools they need to pursue their passions. And so – if they want to buy the art, I'll buy the art. I'm happy to be the dad that buys my kid the art set or the piano or the probably a keyboard so it's smaller in their room and they can put headphones on. But something like that where I want to support my kids and give them the tools they have to pursue their dreams. And uh, I just want to encourage my kids to do anything, to branch out, uh, whether it's – it also helps you socially. Doing stuff, whether it's soccer or piano or ballet or dance team, robotics club. I mean the more you interact with other human beings and learn the lessons of – what it's like to interact with other people, working on a team and anything. I mean, a lot of the stuff you learn in sports or violin or cello, it's all the same stuff. It's work, hard work. It's working together. It's overcoming adversity. And so if my kids want to play football, dude, go for it. I'm happy for that. I'll support them. Uh, I hopefully, I, I, what I want to do, whether it's, whether they play football or not, I hope my son and I can play catch. I love playing catch. I want to play football catch with my son. I'm gonna be on, or my daughter. My daughter wants to as well. I mean, maybe my daughter wants to and my son doesn't. That'd be kind of fun. Uh, look, I don't have kids. It's going to be probably eight or ten years before I do ever have kids. But um, now, I also – I don't think it makes sense to let your kids not play football to get hurt. I think you can't live your life avoiding risk. And also, I mean, look, I, I grew up in Washington, right? Nobody hits hard enough in Washington to really hurt anybody. I mean, high school football is so wimpy and small. I mean, like in college, yeah, you get hit pretty hard and people can't get hurt. But in, in high school football – um, for the most part, everybody's tiny and wimpy. Occasionally you get that one D1 guy who no one can tackle, who you're like, yeah, I don't want my kid getting hit by that kid, I guess, if he's a small shrimp like I was. But um, I, here's where I have empathy. I, I know my parents probably, I, I would sure imagine, had this conversation at some point. If you, I grew up really, really poor. And I would imagine my parents were like, well, if Zach gets hurt, we can't afford the medical bills. So I understand that hurdle, and that makes total sense to me. But other than that, I don't really understand all the, the talk about getting hurt in high school football. Like it, you break your leg. That's another life experience. You have a story. You learn something. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I, 
I, I've never seen anybody in my, like, I, I'm sure people get hurt very badly. I think people even die occasionally in high school football where they're not getting water and they live somewhere really, really hot. I don't want to live in a desert. Um, but I, I've never seen anybody where I live or in my sphere of influence uh, get really badly hurt playing high school football to some degree where other than like breaking a leg or an arm or something. So uh, I just, I don't know. I, I would let my kids play football in a heartbeat if they want to, but I'm going to let my kids do whatever they want to do in, in terms of pursuing whatever path they want to pursue. Robotics, computer engineering, painting, drawing, making videos, uh, sports, chess, piano, whatever they want to do. I'm just going to try to support my kids and uh, be that supportive dad that helps my kids and gives them the resources they need to pursue their passions. Okay, Landon writes in. Landon says, Zach, will you go see the new Wonder Woman movie? Uh, yeah, I will if I can. Uh, everything where I live is shut down. So there's no movie theaters. There's no indoor dining. There's no – can't do anything. I mean, really, it's uh, – oh, it's so much fun. I love COVID. I love being shut down and doing nothing. Um, but look, if I can see Wonder Woman 84, it looks awesome. I love Chris Pine. Uh, Gal Gadot is great. Wonder Woman's a great character in general. They did a great job with that. Um, probably like I love uh, Thor Ragnarok, uh, Black Panther. That, those are Marvel movies. Then in DC, Wonder Woman, the original one, is like one of my favorite, personal favorite superhero movies ever. So um, I, it'll be fun. I just hope I can see it in a theater. If not, I know that like after a month or so in theaters, um, Amazon Prime does a thing where they put it on. It's like 20 bucks to rent a movie, but you can watch a movie that is still in theaters. I, I might have to watch it that way. Um, but if I can watch Wonder Woman 84, I will. It looks like a great time, and I look forward to that. Okay, uh, my final question of the day. Really, there's two of them. They kind of very are very, very similar. So first, Max writes in. Max says, hi, Zach. You've mentioned that you'll bring a notebook with you when you go to a movie theater. What do you write down while watching? And so, Max, I write down my train of thought anything that comes to mind. Uh, what does the movie make me think of? What does it make me feel nostalgia for? What is it? What are my thoughts? What The cinematography, the writing. Is the writing good? Is the writing bad? What are my favorite lines? I just try to write anything that comes to mind when I watch a movie. Uh, I, I, intent, I I really, I think my best, one of my best skill sets in life is I just analyze things. My brain, uh, it's, it's, it's really exhausting. It's hyperactive all the time. And I, I have to pause, when I watch anything, I have to pause all the time to, to write and take notes, uh, whether it's uh, The Bachelorette or it's uh, Hardy Boys last night or uh, whatever. I watched, Hardy, I watched the first episode of Hardy Boys on Hulu last night. Um, it's fine. Got a low budget. It's I watched one episode. I'm intrigued. I'll keep watching it. Reminds me a lot of like Outer Banks or uh, uh, Lock and Key, but Lock and Key and Outer Banks. I mean, Netflix gives way more money to their original series than Hulu does. So, um, But Hardy Boys, like I wanted to like it and I did like it so far, so we'll see how that goes. Um, Jake writes in, final question of the day. Jake says, hi, Zach. Do you use a new notebook for every NFL week? I noticed on your Instagram story that you labeled the notebook NFL week 13. Longtime listener and big fan of your work. I've been recommending your podcast to all my family and friends for a year now. Uh, Jake, yes, I do use a, about a notebook every week. Sometimes a little less, sometimes a little bit more. Um, think about it this way. You have 14 or 15 NFL games. Uh, so 15 games, right, with 20 pages of notes per game, that's 300 total pages of notes. So um, you pretty easily fly through a notebook. Like, people have no idea how many of those composition notebooks I just run through like crazy. There's only 200 pages in a notebook. So I use countless notebooks every year. 
uh, and I, I work my ass off, man. I, I really, um, it takes days and days and days to watch every game uh, from a certain week of an NFL season. And so I, I've watched every game this year so far, and I, I don't plan to break that streak. And uh, what, it, what it also helps do is I, I take intense notes for my film analysis stuff. So I have notes prepared when I want to do film analysis, I can go back and I rewatch the game again, but I, I have a better idea of what I'm looking for. And I, I, I look for, I, I think about what I remembered thinking at the time. And so I have really organized detailed notes with, uh, you know, timestamps and with down a distance stuff and really intense stuff so that I know that down the road, I'll do a film analysis of Justin Herbert. For example, I can go to my week 12 notebook Look, look at the Justin Herbert game, and I've got an outline for what I want to look for and what I want to find uh, in my editing or in my in my research anyway. So uh, it really helps to be organized and take detailed notes. It's a pain in the butt. It's a lot of work. But, uh, yeah, I take about a notebook worth of notes every week of every NFL season, and uh, it's kind of crazy. That's like that's 52 notebooks a year, and then so that's 52 weeks a year. Uh, it's probably a little – it's actually more during the off season because – I do film analysis videos and I rewatch stuff and I do even more work and it's kind of, it's overwhelming. Uh, you know, I probably, I probably burn through about 50 notebooks a year, probably a little less than 52 because in the off season, I don't think I use one a week as much. I'm not, I don't, we'll see. I don't know. But I, yeah, I do in the NFL season, I use about a notebook a week every week and it's uh, a lot of fun. I, I love it. I'm taking notes. Here's another thing. When you write stuff with your hand, it helps you memorize things better. So I know my material really, really well because I've written it with my hand. It helps me memorize and know what I'm going to say and what I want to say. And I don't really have a script and outline, but I have – it's like a, I have key phrases, and I know my stuff. I've written all my thoughts out about this so much that I, I just know my stuff really, really well. And um, it works for me. I love it. I have a great time. And, uh, guys, that's all I have for today. I love you so very much. I appreciate you listening. Uh, we're at about an hour and 20 minutes in. I uh, hope you have a great day. I will see you tomorrow. We'll talk about Monday Night Football. We'll talk about the BYU game. We'll talk about, uh, hopefully, the Tuesday night game. I'll, I, I'm going to probably cap it at four games. We'll see if I can get through them all uh, in time to record by tomorrow night. Uh, but I love you. I appreciate you. Bam. We are.